0: God calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 66. It says, Make a a joyful shout to the God of all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to our God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of His praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Amen. Father in heaven, we come today as your people, the church, gathered to worship you, to sing praises to your name, and to lift high your glory and honor. It is to you that we raise our voices, to you that we lift our hearts. Lord, we pray and ask that you would magnify your name today in this service of worship, that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit on us, your children, your sons and daughters that we would have a sense of beholding You in the beauty of holiness. Lord, I pray that You would help us in our weakness today, that we would be mindful of the Lord Jesus Christ and His great sacrifice for us, and Him actually ruling and reigning in glory today at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we join our hearts together now praying the prayer that You taught Your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in your hymnal if you would like to open it there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary,
1: the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
0: Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, verse 5 and then 16 through 20. It says, Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in His doing toward the sons of men. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away from my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, open your hymnal to page 650. As we sing, I will sing of my Redeemer. for the children's sermon. Good morning, children. I'll stand back here. You can come up forward if you need to. Plenty of seats. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. We are continuing through the Apostles' Creed. And we've been going through it statement by statement this summer. And today we're at the statement about Jesus Christ who shall come again from the throne of God to judge the quick and the dead. Does anybody know what a judge is? Yeah? Would anybody mind saying what a judge is? Someone who sentences a criminal. Someone who sentences a
1: criminal. Yeah? Yes.
0: That's the highest, the highest in in law, yeah? Anybody else? And
1: that person who makes laws.
0: Makes laws?
1: What?
0: that's the really, really, really highest. It's the really highest, it is. Well, the judge doesn't, well, they're not supposed to make the laws, right? They're supposed to enforce them, right? (laughs) Interpret it and, and enforce them. So we said that we believe Jesus last week that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. To be there is a place of authority. And when we say that we believe Jesus is coming again, I don't want to just skip over that phrase, He's coming again. Because that's where we set our hope as God's people, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that when He said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, He says, I'm coming back for you, my children. And I will take you home and you will be with me forever. So I don't want to skip over that part. You should believe today and trust that Jesus is coming back
1: for you. Okay. But when it... Um, go ahead. Do good things and save people from death.
0: We should do good things and save people from death? We, we should. We should help people, shouldn't we? When he, says, when he says He's coming back and that He will judge the quick and the dead... That means that everyone who has ever lived will stand before Jesus as the one who is the authority. And we will give an answer for the things that we do. We'll give an answer for all the good things that He's given us and how we used them. And we will even answer for the things that we've done. The things that we've thought that nobody else knows. Have you ever thought something and didn't say it? I know for some of you young boys that might not be the case. But... <laughs> There are things that you think that maybe you don't say out loud. Or maybe your mom and dad might say, don't say that out loud, right? But Jesus says He he is coming. The Bible says He's coming and He will judge even our thoughts and our deeds. So I want you to believe that this morning. I want you to hear it and believe it, that it's true from the Bible. But also hope and believe that Jesus is coming as your judge and He judged your sins on the cross. He paid for them. Everything that you do that is sinful and everything that you ever have done as his child, Jesus paid for sins on the cross for his people. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that it is true that when Jesus left this earth, he promised to come again to take his children home. And I thank you, Lord, that the Bible is true when it says that Jesus is the only righteous judge. I do pray for our children, Lord, that they would know what it means to belong to you and have hope in You coming again. And I pray, Lord, that they would continue to find themselves being hidden in You, that You do cover their sins by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, I do pray for the covenant promises to be true for them, that they would cry out to You in faith, that they would do so at a young age. And Lord, I pray that You would help their hearts in this day where it seems that right is wrong and up is down that you would help them to know the truth of your word that it doesn't change and that all will stand before you a given account in Jesus name i pray amen thank you You're
1: welcome <laughs>
0: <laughs> this morning for our responsive reading we're going to be reading psalm 89 verses 1 through 37 uh, it's on page 815 in your hymnal Page 815. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will the forever, and make your throne firm for all
1: generations.
0: The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the Holy Ones. For the In the council of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you, you are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. You rejoice so in the path like With your strong arm, you scatter your
1: enemies.
0: The heavens are yours. And yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Take your own performance and for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord.
1: They rejoice in your name all day long. They exalt in your righteousness.
0: For you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn.
1: Indeed, to the Lord, our King, the Holy One of Israel.
0: Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said... I have found David my servant, with my sacred oil I have anointed him. My will sustain him. Surely my will him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will trust his love him and my faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. I will
1: also appoint Him my lord, the most exalted of the kings of the earth.
0: I will maintain my love to Him forever, and my covenant with Him will never fail. I will establish His line forever,
1: His throne as long as the heavens endure.
0: If His sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. I will not take
1: my from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness.
0: I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. That his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. we continue to worship let's stand together and turn to in our hymnal to page 347 singing the church's one foundation pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray uh, for two things specifically. Uh, Number one, I wanted to pray for our uh, young adults, adults who are uh, going back to college. Uh, Many of them moved uh, back to campus or to an apartment this past week. And I wanted to lift them up in prayer that the Lord would be with them, uh, that He would sustain them in this semester of study looking ahead, and also that He would hold them in His hand, that their minds would be sharp to know the truth that as they hear ideas that are competing, things that are offered up to them as true and right and reality, that God's Word would be what sustains and holds them, and that He would also keep them in good health in this coming semester. I also wanted to pray uh, for those um, in, our, in our midst who are struggling, and particularly for uh, families in our church, for one another, that the Lord would be with us, and that uh, remembering that He hears us when we pray, that this is Not just a a line item on our bulletin. This is a means of grace for God's people to be in His presence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You that it is true that You hear Your children when they cry out to You. And we lift our hearts up to You now as the One who is the answer to all of our prayers. That we do not find in ourselves, whether looking within ourselves or even to our own means, we do not find the answer to our prayers. We don't find the strength that we need or the resources that are needed. Lord, we come to You as the only one who can answer. We come to You as the living and true God. We have confessed that we believe that You are real, that You are the Savior of sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that You do that by Your grace through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we pray that You would help us to believe that in our souls. Lord, I do pray for those in our midst who are struggling, for those who have physical or spiritual difficulties in their lives that are very significant, that are weights upon their souls and that impacts their families in significant ways. Lord, I pray that You would comfort those today who are grieving. Grieving the loss of a loved one, maybe not someone who passed away recently, but someone who they know is gone and is with You, but yet they still grieve. Lord, I pray that You would be with us as a church family, that we would love one another well and serve one another well even in the midst of our griefs and our own pains. Lord, I do pray for for our young adults as they go off to college, as they start classes this week or maybe next, or maybe they've already started some this past week. Lord, I pray for their minds that they would know and remember that the truth of God's Word does not change. And that it is not different just because a large group of people say that something is true. That your word is true. It is the foundation of our lives. Not just a statement of faith. It is the way that you created the world. Your word is sure and fixed. Lord, I pray that you would protect their hearts from the attacks of the evil one. That they would not give in to the ideas that many in our culture may tell them about what truth and reality is. About what morality is that honoring God is just something that some religious people do, but it's not anything that you have to do now. Lord, I pray that You would sustain them by Your grace, that You would protect their health, that You would sustain them in long nights of study and in times of getting up early to go to class or go do work at a job while they prepare to go off to class later. Lord, I pray that You would protect them. And Lord, I do pray for their parents who are here at home that you would help them to trust in you and cling to you and trusting their children to you. It is a a difficult thing to raise a child and to be responsible for everything of their existence and then one day send them out as if they're ready to be responsible for all aspects of their lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in you. Lord, I thank you that you have brought us here today. For each soul who is here, I pray that you would meet with us by your Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord. We need you. I pray that You would open our hearts as we read Your Word. And I pray that You would comfort us in the truth of the Gospel. That it is because of the Lord Jesus Christ that You call us to Yourself. And help us to know, Lord, that You do that today. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 4. This morning we're going to be reading verses 13 through 22. The sermon is entitled, The Great Redeemer. Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today we finish our series, Searching for a Redeemer, in the Old Testament book of Ruth. The last scene opens in the living room of Naomi's empty home. Ruth no longer lives with her. She has married Boaz, the close relative. I can imagine her sitting at the table with a cup of tea, Or maybe glancing out the window recalling the last ten plus years of her life. Life was not what she expected or what she had worked for. Yet God's mighty hand had provided for her even in the midst of her wanderings. In her wanderings away from Him. Even in leaving the land of Bethlehem and going to the land of Moab with her husband and her sons. But I imagine there may have been some questions that went through her mind. And some of them were repeated questions, as many of you have repeated questions that run through your minds from day to day. Why did God bring these things into my life, these specific things? Why did He allow such sorrows to mark these last years of her life? And as the women enter the room, those questions run away to come back another day. They come in the room with a baby boy. And we see this story in the book of Ruth come full circle from heartbreaking tragedy to unimaginable joy and relief in God's providence. And we are shown the depth of the story that God has been writing in the book of Ruth. I want to share a quote with you from Alistair Begg. He said in a devotion this week, all your existence, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes... The disappointments, the hopes, the dreams, the schemes, they're all under the providential care of God. All of your existence from start to finish is owed to your heavenly Father. He is the one who holds everything, and He holds you in the midst of life. This morning as we look at this passage, as we finish this book in the Old Testament, I have to admit I'm a bit sad that it's over. I have enjoyed studying this book I've enjoyed being encouraged as I am sure, hope, that many of you have been, that the Lord is faithful to His people, that He takes care of us, and His covenant promises are sure and strong and right, and that He holds you in the mighty grip of His hand. This morning as we look at this passage, I'm going to do so briefly under three headings. First, from tragedy to joy. Secondly, the mighty hand of God. And lastly promises fulfilled, and we'll spend most of our time there. But as we look at this narrative this morning, from tragedy to joy, it seems odd to me what's left out in these last verses in Ruth chapter 4. I would have imagined with all the buildup and all the drama that took place in these chapters in Ruth, that we would have seen something of a wedding scene, or at least maybe heard some bells, or maybe some comments about Naomi's adjustment to life again After all, she had come back to Bethlehem with a daughter-in-law, Ruth, who lived in her home and they had meals together and she would send off in the morning, I hope work goes well. And she would see her daughter-in-law come back tired and maybe sweating a bit in the evening as it was getting dark. And they no longer had those experiences. I wonder why the writer didn't tell us about this time for this widow. Or maybe family dinners when Boaz and Ruth would say, Mom, why don't you come over and have dinner with us tonight? Or maybe even a few verses about a pregnancy announcement. We do have briefly a little bit here, but it's more information than it is the experience of these people. This should have been a cause for rejoicing in this family. You remember, Ruth was married to Naomi's son, Malin, and for ten years they weren't able to conceive. And so here's Ruth having a baby, and there's not a big announcement. I imagine there would have been times when Ruth is on her way into town and she decided, well, we had this big pot of, of soup and I'm just going to bring by a bowl and I'll see you later when I come back. Just these everyday things that we don't see in these verses, these things are left out. Why? I think we'll get some answers later. In verses 14 to 17, we have three specific things happening in the narrative story. There's a birth announcement, a blessing, and a naming in verse 14a we have the the verse the the verse shows a birth announcement that a little boy has been born to Ruth and to Boaz. You remember in chapter 1 verse 12 there was some specific language that Naomi said to the ladies. She was trying to get Ruth and Orpah to leave. I'm going back home. I'm not staying in Moab. And she says something to them, "Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband." If I should say I have hope, if I should say I have a husband tonight and should bear sons, would you wait? She's saying there's no reason for hope here. Hope is gone. Don't trust it. I went out full. God brought me back empty. And yet, there's a close relative mentioned here. This one who went out full and came back empty. There was a close relative, but the people praise a close relative. Who were they talking about? Who was the Redeemer? It's that little baby boy. But Boaz was the, the kinsman redeemer. He was the champion in this story. Why do we not hear them speaking about him? And by the way, where are Ruth and Boaz? After all, in this in this scene, they're in Naomi's home in the living room. Why aren't they there rejoicing with her? And then we hear the blessing in verses 14 and 15. They say, these ladies, these ladies who heard Naomi say in chapter 1, verse 21, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. He is the one who brought me back empty-handed. They say to him, May his name, this little boy, may his name be famous, and may he be to you a restorer of life. And then we hear just a little bit about Ruth, and that your daughter-in-law, who loves you, they leave that in, They have to mention it. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, has borne him to you. And they say something that is almost unimaginable in the Old Testament, that she is better to you than seven sons. Seven is a number of completion and wholeness, and sons were the way that a family name continued from generation to generation. And these ladies are saying that she, Ruth, is better to you than seven sons. That is an amazing statement, a blessing to this family. And lastly, in verse 17, we have a a naming ceremony. These ladies name him. The town women. It's the only occurrence in the Old Testament of people other than parents naming a child. So it must be very significant that this is happening. I think part of the reason it's happening this way is because this child who is being born is not just simply a child to continue a family name. It's a child to be a reminder to God's people of his faithfulness to all of them. Not just to one family, but to the entire nation of Israel. His name, they call him, is Obed. And in the Bible, names are significant. Obed means servant. And as we see later in this passage, he will be a servant of the living God. He will serve his, his mom. He will serve Naomi. He will take care of her in her old age but he will also serve God's people and the purposes of God's covenant faithfulness for all generation. But I ask you again, what about Ruth and Boaz? Where are they? Why are they not part of this scene? And I believe the answer is, it's obvious that they are not center stage. They are not the main characters in this story. They are part of the story. But this is not primarily a story about two loved ones being brought together. I believe they go and live an ordinary life of love and faithfulness. They serve God's purposes in their days. They have good days and bad days. They have days filled with joy, some of them filled with sorrow, and then God calls them home. But they are not center stage at the end of the book of Ruth. They were not at the center of this story. Secondly, first we look from tragedy to joy. Secondly, the mighty hand of God. And this is one of those sections in this passage where it would be like in the book of Luke where the writer Luke says, Behold, he wants to get your attention. He wants you to see it. And if you're distracted, wake up. Cast your gaze upon this part intently. Don't miss this part. It's significant. It's important for you to see it. There are two things that the mighty hand of God did in this passage. As we finish this narrative, the details are important to notice. The mighty hand of God did two things. What he did and what he preserved in this passage. What did he do? In verse 13, it says that Naomi now has security because of this close relative. Naomi blessed Ruth in chapter 1 verse 9 when she talked to Orpah and to Ruth and said, please go back to Moab. I'm going to Bethlehem. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And may He give you security and rest in the home of a husband. And here God has made good on that blessing, on that prayer. He has made good on that both for Ruth in Boaz and for Naomi in this little boy, Obed, whom God had given to her. His covenant faithfulness is what was on the line. In verse 13, I don't want to miss this either. It says that the Lord gave Ruth conception. Ruth had been barren and we don't know why. We don't know how it's possible that she was able to have a baby. What intervention had taken place? That's a question looming over the book. How did she have a little baby boy now? She wasn't able to before. And the writer tells us, and here it is, the second place in the entire book that God stands out and says, right here I am. I am the one who did it. It says the Lord, Jehovah, intervened. This pregnancy was a gift. And what it tells us is two things. That life begins at conception. It says God gave her conception and she had the baby boy. This also means that childrens are gifts of God's providence. Not the product of human sexuality. They aren't just a mistake or something that happened. The consequence of a difficult night. This is a gift from the living God that Ruth had waited and prayed for. It's biblically significant then. Now, there is a link between Ruth and other mothers of the nation of Israel. Think of the people who Ruth, the foreigner, would now be related to and how her story was written very similarly to theirs. Think of the founding mothers of Israel, Sarah, who didn't have a baby until much later in life, who the Bible says in Hebrews was old. I think the only time that it says a lady was old in the Bible. But she had a baby, even though she was beyond her years. Rachel and Leah... Leah was the one who had babies before Rachel. Even though Rachel was the one who was loved and appreciated and adored, it was Rachel later who did have children. And then Tamar, a Canaanite woman. And these all of these women, founding mothers for the nation of Israel. And now Ruth is related to them because she who was barren now has a child. It reminds me of Luke chapter 1 verses 36 to 37 when the angel was speaking To Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And it is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. That's what was happening here in this family. The impossible was being turned upside down. What he did and what he prevented. Point number two. What he prevented. He did not abandon his people in verse 14. Did you catch it? It says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you. He has not left you as his people. These ladies were seeing all the events that took place in the book of Ruth as coming from Jehovah's hand. So when they say that God did not leave you, they're saying that everything that happened from beginning to end for you, Naomi, was all part of God's plan for your life. There was none of it that was outside of his plan. You didn't get out of a lane that God had you in. Yes, you made mistakes and you made bad decisions, but you have been held by God's hand from start to finish. Think about the long shot that this book takes us through. The chance that all of these things would happen and that all of them would happen in such a way that it would result in what we're reading today. The widow's return in chapter 1 when Naomi comes back. The chance meeting between Ruth and Boaz in chapter 2. She just happened to go to the right field. The successful plan in chapter 3 with Ruth going down to the threshing floor. And then all the proceedings that took place at the gate in chapter 4. That the man who Boaz needed to see just happened to walk by. And that there just happened to be enough elders to have enough to have a meeting that day. The women in this story give total credit to Jehovah. And are stating that he alone brought about all these events that took place. What else did God prevent in this passage He did not allow tragedy to occur for Naomi or for Elimelech's line. This is a preventative act. And this is significant. I don't want to do a Hebrew lesson, but it's significant that there is a negative statement being made about something that God did. He did not allow something to happen in her life. This was specific to her, the tragedy of her old age. It says in verse 15 that this little boy who was being born. Talk about having a job to do. This little boy will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. This was specific to Naomi. She was an older lady. But for everyone, and I think this is you and me included, for everyone, the depth of grief that is directly related to living in a fallen world seems to strike at our hearts in a particular way and a very specified way when we are older. There is something about life that when you get older, there are things that you think about and run through in your mind. And for whatever reason, they bounced off when you were younger. But as you were older, they seemed to stick in your heart. And what they were praying for her was that this little boy would be a blessing from God that those barbs from the enemy would not stick in her soul. And also the tragedy of family annihilation. The tribe of Judah, the clan of Ephrathah, this family of Elimelech. To lose a family was shameful. And to lose a family had been the issue at hand throughout this book. It loomed over the entire book of Ruth. Can God preserve Elimelech's family? Is he strong enough to do it? Will he be able to do it in all of these circumstances? I want to share another quote with you from a man named Charles Simeon. He said, What is before us we know not, whether we shall live or die, but this we know. That all things are ordered and sure. Everything is ordered with unerring wisdom and unbounding love by Thee, our God, who art love. Everything in life comes from Him. We don't know the the end from the beginning. We do not know all that will take place. But we know that He is the one who holds us by His mighty hand. And lastly, promises fulfilled. Fulfilled. And I want to ask you as we read this story, as we finished it today, as we got to verses 18 to 22, were you wondering and scratching your head as we read it, is there a misplaced family tree in this book? Why was this included? Why do we have a family tree in the book of Ruth at the end of a narrative story? This reads like some dry, unfeeling list of names. Why in the world is this included? At the end of the book, we discover that God has been pursuing a bigger plan than bringing together two worthy individuals, Ruth and Boaz. What looked like a simple story of personal emptiness being fulfilled and personal needs met turns out to be God's way of meeting a far greater need. The story that opened with the statement in the days when the judges ruled closes with the genealogy of Israel's most famous king, This genealogy links the story with the line that would build the house of Israel more than any other family since the time of Jacob. It was the line of David, the king. God uses all of the events that happened in these chapters, these four chapters, to bring about His own goals that were so much bigger than one of the characters or any of the characters involved could possibly have imagined. Think about the blessing that the elders at the the gate that day gave to Boaz. They said, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this woman, this woman Ruth. They pronounced this blessing. The themes of blessing and name and offspring and the building of a house in Israel would have resonated deeply with the people who read this story, and have for God's people throughout all of the Old Testament. These themes go all the way back to God's promises to Abraham. To give him what? To give him a great name. That a nation would come from him because of his offspring. So that all the people of the earth would find a blessing for themselves in him, Abraham. This was the covenant that God made with him. But what about the promises that are being fulfilled? Is this it? Should we think only about David? If you still have your Bibles open, look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we we won't read, we'll look at a couple verses here. As so we think about these promises, because I do believe it's significant enough that David would come from the line of Ruth and Boaz. It is. But when you think about that family tree that we read in verses 18 to 22, what do you read in Matthew chapter 1? In Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 5, just look at it briefly, I won't read it. You see those same names. Those same names that we just read in Ruth. And then look at verse 16. After we read about Jesse and Obed and David and Boaz, you get down to verse 16. And it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. There was a promise in that little boy Obed being born that God was keeping to His people. Not only that there would be a great king, even though at this time they weren't even crying out to God for a king. He was meeting a need they didn't even know they had. And He was saying in His keeping His promise, I am sending you a Redeemer, one who will deliver you, not just in this day from a famine or from maybe not having food. I will deliver My people from their sins as I promised I would. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end of the throne of David and of His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, not by the work of hands or kings or mighty arms. God provides salvation for His people by His own good pleasure, according to His own strength and promise. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33 of Jesus it says, He will be great and will be called Son of the Highest, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What God promised and gave through this family was the line of David, the one who would build the kingdom of God, Israel. But the one who would sit on his throne, the greatest one, was the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who's anticipated in this book. Through this family, through a foreigner, Ruth, who, if you know anything about their family history, you know in the Old Testament, who was Boaz's mom? Rahab. And if you look at that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, I just want to point out that you get through Abraham, and you talk about Isaac and Jacob, then you get to Judah and Perez, and then it starts naming moms. It tells about Tamar, the Canaanite. It tells about Ruth. And it talks about Rahab, the harlot. Tamar had pretended to be a prostitute and got her father-in-law to sleep with her. Ruth didn't, but she was a foreigner. Rahab actually was a prostitute that God redeemed. And Jesus leaves them in his genealogy in the book of Matthew. And you say, well, why is that significant? These are just lists of names of people who are dead and gone. And it's significant because many of us believe that in order for us to belong to God and be used by Him, we have to be able to write out the worst parts of our story. In order to be used and be part of what God is doing in the world, it's up to me to live a certain way. And what we see here is God uses anyone. He will use anyone, a foreigner, a prostitute. He will use anyone for His own glory, even us. The whole point of this book was to point God's people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater King, who is the friend of sinners. These people were named to remind us that Jesus loves sinners, even down to choosing His own family tree. He didn't leave out the warts and pimples in the genealogy. There were no crazy uncles that He locked in the closet and didn't let us see. He shows it all to us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, this was the point, this was the reason Jesus came When the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, She will bring forth a son, talking about Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a friend of sinners. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus knew that about himself. He was not confused about his identity. He knew who he was speaking to. When he came to rescue sinners... Jesus didn't come dressed up in sanitized clothes like a scientist suited up in a lab to handle the bubonic plague. He came into the world naked and unprotected, and he rubbed shoulders with people who were called sinners in his day. He was known to associate with wretched tax collectors and other sinners, even touching and hugging those who were leprous, who would make him ceremonially unclean. This was the hallmark of our Savior's life on this earth. And He continued that way until He hung on the cross between two known thieves. Jesus went out of this world the same way that He came in, naked and unprotected. There was no near Redeemer to help Him. No one was there when He cried out. Think of the courageous sacrifices in the book of Ruth. They pale in comparison to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He left heaven, an intimate fellowship with His heavenly Father, entering the pain of this fallen world. And it must have been abrupt to come into this world. He didn't just risk His reputation. He made Himself of no reputation for you and me. He took on the form of a servant and was despised and rejected by men for us to satisfy all righteousness on our behalf. If that were not enough, at the darkest moment in all of history, while He hung on the cross naked in front of everyone, There was no near Redeemer to come rescue Him. And the Father turned His back while Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? He did that for you and me, His people. Out of His great love for us, Jesus' resurrection ensures that there would always be a perpetual spiritual seed proceeding from Him as the true Israel of God. You are not a true believer because you are part of a Christian family. You're not a true believer because you come from a Christian home or because you attend a Presbyterian church. You are a true believer because you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And you believe and hope in Him as the only reason that God should allow you into heaven. If there is any other answer that you would give on that day, why should I, the Judge, let you in? If your answer is anything other than Jesus... You are disqualified. There is nothing to commend you to the Father except the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus ensured when He rose from the grave that there would always be a seed coming from His house. And it would be you and me, those who are born of God by His Spirit, that we belong to Him. The Bible says Jesus is a friend of sinners. And as we close this book of Ruth, as we think about what it means to live in this world where it seems that so many are attacking the church and God's people, I think it is important and maybe even decently and in good order to consider what it means to live in this fallen world in the next few weeks and talk about what it means to live on mission as God's people. So as we end this book today, may you be filled with hope to know that the friend of sinners loves you too. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the hope that we have in the Gospel, not because of ourselves or any good work that we could do, but because of Jesus Christ alone, His righteousness and His sacrifice on our behalf, that He made atonement for our sins. This book anticipates Him coming and ruling on the throne of David. Lord, we pray that we would hope and believe and trust that You are ruling and reigning. We live in a mixed-up world that doesn't know up from down or left from right. Lord, I pray that You would help us to cling to You in these days. I pray that You would comfort Your people with the truth that You are on the throne and that nothing passes into our lives except that it comes through Your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together now as we continue to worship, singing hymn number 128. God moves in a mysterious way. an offering to the glory of God. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you pour out upon us. Each of us, individuals and as families, you have poured out the riches of heaven on us. Not because we are deserving. We take these things that you have given us, Lord, and now we dedicate our tithes and our offerings to you and say to our own hearts that we do not rest our hope on the things of this world that may pass away, and certainly not in silver or in gold. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us and we thank you that you may give us this opportunity to give back to you a portion of what you have so richly given to us. We pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of the spread of the gospel and that lost people might hear of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sinners. Lord, we dedicate this offering to you for the sake of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. and deacons that we will meet briefly in the parlor just after our worship service. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now the eternal God who is your refuge be a rock that is beneath you, the tower that is around you, the shelter that is above you this day and all the days until Jesus comes. Amen.